0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom and welcome to Ask Rabbi Yom Tov number 5. Um, here we are in the uh, Holy Land, Yerus- Jerusalem. And, uh, and today's Ask Rabbi Yom Tov uh, doesn't have a sponsor yet, but if you have a business that wants to sponsor these things, then let me know. Michael, you have a business Soon. that wants to sponsor. Uh...
1: Soon, I'm taking your course. I'm going to make it work. Another business, so
0: uh-huh. it
1: kind of popped into my head over the last month.
0: Alicia, you have a you have a, a business you want to get sponsored. You want to sponsor with? A I business? am
1: actually um, just as of um, yesterday, I am unemployed.
0: Oh gosh! Wow. Let's see what's coming up next. You should definitely join my seminar called Desire because that'll
1: it's
0: a- totally focus you. It's coming it's
1: Sunday. It's an honor, and,
0: I, and I'll do it as soon as I can. As okay, Mizra- Okay, everybody, so let's get some questions generated. Um, everyone watching on Facebook Live, welcome to Ask the Rabbi, or Ask Rabbi Yom Tov. I'm not the Rabbi, I'm just Rabbi Yom Tov. But Ask Rabbi Yom Tov, please uh, uh, yeah, jump in there with your questions. Go, go ahead and, with the comments, I'll read the questions. And, uh, and we can ask also in chat on Zoom. Uh, anyone who uh, joined on Facebook, I'll put the code in now for you um, on the comments. I'll add a comment here. Uh, the code to to this Zoom class is uh, 857, that's if you want to come on the screen, Eight five 843 I'll put a dash in there, make it easier for you to read. do not disturb and then a five one four nine so anyone anyone on facebook who wants to get in on the zoom class so i put the code right on there yeah, I, lo- I lost three uh participants just doing that okay so let's get the first question um and anyone who comes on the zoom i'd appreciate it if your camera was on so it would be more people to connect to because otherwise it's just two-dimensional um Yeah, Alicia and uh, Michael, or the person with the iPhone, um, whose camera's off, Um, if you can uh, please generate some questions, I'll be happy to answer them. Uh, Maybe, Alicia, you want to start with that question that you uh, had mentioned?
1: Yeah, so basically my question is about Torah Im Derek Eretz, basically the idea of learning Torah. Um, along with secular studies uh, and and also uh, working, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, a life of just Torah um, and, uh, uh,
0: you know, the projection of like, secular knowledge. Okay, so I'm not going to bring up secular knowledge right now because that's a separate subject. Um, they are related very much, but it's another subject. What we're talking about now is um, that our our the Mishnah says in Pirke Avos that that t- Torah should always be with um, with what's called dererherets, which in this case means a livelihood. That someone's Torah should come with uh, earning a living. And it even goes so far to say that any Torah that doesn't have a livelihood with it will eventually lead to sin, which is pretty strong words. Meaning that sounds like a real warning not to be um, neglecting your your um, earning a living not to be neglecting that, uh, you know, in honor of Torah study. Now, all of that changed with the Enlightenment movement. Uh, What happened during the Enlightenment movement was um, having only unique individuals who were particularly brilliant, having unique individuals, these particularly brilliant people who were the rabbis and the scholars, and then having the other 98% of Jews working, um, that worked for most of history, but once the Enlightenment hit, uh, there it, it, it was uh, deemed necessary that people would be uh, would forego their livelihoods to at least stay literate Jewishly, because Judaism was being attacked at its core, and and the necessity of of um, Torah scholarship it wasn't good enough to just have a rabbi in town like everybody had to become the rabbi, you had to everyone had to have that level of knowledge that would be um enlightenment resistance. you understand that that in enlightened ideas coming into a fiddler on the roof shtetl are going to have a massive impact in fact the whole movie the whole play and musical and movie fiddler on the roof which everyone loves so much is actually a horrible movie horrible screenplay about the how the enlightenment ripped the souls out of people and what is what do you, what what do you have? You have this ignoramus named Tevya, who doesn't know his ass from his elbow, Jewishly. Okay, and he he is you know now. By the way, he's a total yid. He's a total yid. He just doesn't know anything. He's a simple man, and uh, he's not a scholar. And the Enlightenment comes through, and just literally, like one after his daughter, one after the other, you see his daughters getting picked off by the Enlightenment. Now, these movies are always being played out by. Um, kids who were raised observant who now find themselves as hollywood writers feeling terribly guilty for their lifestyles and therefore they want to depict those and there's movie after movie the jazz singers about that there's just tons of movies there's cartoons there's even The simpsons about it the where they where they depict the they they basically play out the narrative that they're feeling guilty about and the fiddler on the roof is just another one of those hollywood narratives of uh hey what's up doctor how you doing? Welcome. So so the uh so the fiddler on the roof is just another one of those narratives of the Enlightenment hitting the hitting the simpletons of the shtetl life, the, the shtetl the people. And um by the way I'm I'm interested in what your question is, Dr. Michael over there when you you're you ne- you get the next question because you may be too busy to stay. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, well my
2: my living is Keeping other people alive, people's children alive. So I don't really have to struggle with that question. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, um, I don't know if I have a specific question. Wait, don't ask. Don't ask, ask yet. I want, want you to
0: let it brew for a moment. I'm still on this one. So okay. Yeah. So anyway, so what goes on is that the that that hey enough time Rabbi. So they're so they're letting hey. it hey they're letting it play out. They're letting it play out. mean, these movies, these narratives that Hollywood created are are a way of assuaging the guilt of their lifestyle. You know, their their uh, you know second lifestyles from the upbringing that they had. And what happens is, um, what what the observant community did was they said, you know what, to hell with the lifestyle you know, to the secular lifestyle, to hell with that, we're going to become Torah scholars. And what happened for the last 2000 years, 3000 years, every 12 year old was done with his formal education. He was taught a trade either by his father or he was sent off to apprentice by someone else. By the time he was bar mitzvah he was working full time, usually married between 14 and 16 as well. And, and, you know, earning a wage, believe me, the, the, in the Russian the Russian shtetlach were not being uh, paid for by the government, you know, like Israel's shtetls are. So anyway, so the so the answer is no. You're not going to go work at 12. You are going to go to yeshiva at 13. It's called Yeshiva Katana, class, and it's Sure Aleph Bet and Gimel. Classes one, two, and three. And that's three years, and then you're going to Yeshiva Gedola, which is uh, you know, which is also Aleph Bet and Gimel, and um Oh great! I, I want to meet your student Naftali in a second. I'm almost through with this question, and and that's classes Olabek Gimel. Now you're 18, and you're fair game to get married if you're Hasidic. Otherwise, you keep learning till you're 23 because no one wants to marry you if you started if you went out and worked, you know, because they they so downplayed the importance of work, and so you continue in your scholarship till you're some 23 year old if you're in the yeshiva community. And once you're 18 in the Hasidic world, you can get married, and the uh, if you're in Israel, you don't work because, or if you do, you do it secretly. And if uh, and Israel has an extra handicap is that the ultra orthodox don't go to the army. Period. I mean, they just don't go um, for w- whatever reasons. You can ask that as another question, but I'm not going to answer that without someone asking. So they don't go to the army, and then um, and, which means they can't work because the second you work, you lose your your um, your exemption as a Torah scholar. <laughs> So now you can't work. Now your hands are tied behind your back till you're, I think, 24 years old is the first time you can work. But how are you going to work? You don't know anything, you, meaning you've never studied a trade at all. You're 24 married for if you're Hasidic, you're married six years. You know, if you're not Hasidic, you're married two years. And and you're like, whatever, it's, it's not a, not a great situation for earning a living. However, our scholarship today is like never before. We have massive scholarship. So secular people can't really come to attack the observant community and get very far. They just can't get very far. You'll notice that the kids who leave the fold, it wasn't because they didn't know stuff. They leave the fold because there was usually something wrong in that house. There was some energy in that house that was off or or they just didn't know it could be a perfect house. It's just that they they were they had a whack whack job of a kid growing up. What I mean by whack job is, uh, let's say, highly creative, highly creative. Like I would think that's a good thing, but you know, highly creative is a nightmare in the education system, especially the Haredi one. So so, and then parents who are playing that game who have a highly creative kid. You know, who just like sees these totally out of box ways of solving things, including math problems. You know, they're they're going to be a disaster, and the disaster, you know, hits all the time. So you have to be a really good parent to deal with that. Okay, um, I'm going to leave it at that. But the, the logistics could just to um, before I go to Naftali, is going to introduce me to someone apparently. The yeah, before we go to that, I'd like to, um, I'd like to just mention that. That today, today, things are different, but but the observant world's set up to resist change. There's no one coming with arguments for secularism today. You understand? That's not like, you know, in those days, 200 years ago, it was, it was a philosophical battle. And you better know your stuff. Today, like, I can't even, I'll tell you the truth. I know this is called Ask Rabbi Yomta, but I don't remember the last time I actually got a good question. From from I mean it's been years since a secular person came on and asked me a question that that was like you know anything compared to what was 20 years ago when I was a rabbi at Aish. you know I'm still rabbi at Aish, mm. but 20 years ago questions those were questions today no one's asking these questions so all we're doing is is um, now um, with internet and all the things out there kids can get siphoned off other ways so it's good to keep them in Torah. There's plenty of ways to siphon off a Jew from Judaism today. Um, there's other ways to do it. So keeping kids, keeping those boys at least in Torah helps a lot. Now, it do, it's a bit of disaster in that, let's say they get married, you know, young, and now the woman works. Yeah, she works. The wife works. He doesn't work. That's not very good for family dynamics, you know. You're not, remember, attraction and respect always go together in marriage. If she doesn't respect you, she's not going to be attracted to you. So you know, how can you respect a man who walks up to you and is like, "Can I borrow ten dollars?" You know, or not? Can I borrow can I, It's your wife, so you're not borrowing it. You're like, um, yeah, can, can I have ten dollars?" You know, it's it just not the dynamic you, you want there, and uh, and so it does. Uh, there is a bit of a hit on the respect, which is a hit on the attraction, and and uh, it's it's a bit of a. And what's inter- what's fascinating about it is the black hat world's what they're really saying is our job is to keep out Western influence. But they meanwhile created a perfect storm of of that kind of feminine Western, feminine influence. Feminine, sorry, didn't didn't mean feminine, feminism influence.
1: Yeah.
0: Where, you know, where the men are like playing the girl here, playing the female, (laughs) in that she's, you know, he's like, she's calling all the shots. You know? She's
1: wearing the pants.
0: She's wearing the pants, that's right. Okay, everyone, um, let's go. Naftali, what's up? Hi.
1: Yeah, so I want to, first of all, so nice to see you, Rabbi.
0: Likewise, I miss but you I, so I, much. Where are you? Yeah, I
1: don't want to hijack the Q&A, but I want to introduce you to Tatiana. I don't
0: Tatiana. Hi, Tatiana. Here we go. Welcome. Hi. Shalom.
1: Tatiana is a student of mine from UCLA.
0: Nice. Um,
1: super awesome. And <laughs> super she's into music and singing.
0: Uh, well, amazing. So I, I hope you brought yeah. a question or two with you, Tatiana. and
1: I didn't. This was, this was kind of last minute. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay.
0: You don't um, have... No, no. If, if so, you have questions, they just have to percolate. So we all have questions. Yeah, no, for sure. So give it, yeah, give yeah. it some Remember time. We are
1: checking out a couple of different uh, Torah classes, amazing Torah classes, checking uh, them out.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, but what I would ask is, how does music and singing relate to Judaism?
0: Oh, I like that question and since you mentioned it maybe i'll pull out my guitar for a little uh maybe a little number on my yeah. guitar so so mu- music's very key and let's let's put it like this this is something that'll be interesting to y'all you know when you pass a new age store or something you know i don't you get a lot of these in manhattan i don't know if la has oh yeah down by venice beach you know you get these new age stores and it's like you can, there's in what do they got in there they got crystals they got meditation music they got um Incense burning, you know, a big selection of incense. So what happens the average urban Jew today with a black attitude's is going to walk by there and go like, oh, gosh, like, what's going on in there? They like idolatry. There's one of these idol worshipers or something. Meanwhile, the Jewish people, it could be they learned it from us. We had a temple in Jerusalem with thousands of people in the choir and thousands of of string players and thousands of drum players and flute players and and they it was a massive orchestra i mean it's hard to imagine thousands of people playing but it says there were thousands there and the, the history says it and the and the, it was so loud the music was so loud and so intense meditatively that it um that you could hear it in jericho which is down by the dead sea there's a there's a canyon called kelt wadi kelt and it and that canyon would literally like vibrate like an instrument all the way down. To, it lets out into Jericho, and and, that, and by the way, if you ever get to Israel, you gotta hike that. That's one of the greatest slot canyons in Israel, and uh, with waterfalls everywhere. It's it's just total heaven. So so the um, I th- I'm actually I think I'm going mountain biking down that wadi tomorrow, um, which is interesting. It's come up twice tonight, three times. Three times, because the guy I'm going riding with also mentioned it. Um, so so anyway, we had the music. Incense, we had an 11-spice mixture that came with... Uh, there were so many rules about that thing. And, and you know, let's see rules in your local uh, New Age shop with the incense. There's no rules. Yeah. Just, you know, take a lighter, you know, and just, like, burn it, you know.
3: Yeah. Light it up, man.
0: So, so you just light the stuff and let it burn, and that that's that's the way it was, and um, and so and so with these these things had major laws around the incense. In fact, it even carried a death penalty for someone who created the mixture with uh, um, they created the mixture either changed the changed the the uh, formula or created the formula and but did it for the not for the temple that's death penalty or they created it for the temple with the formula and wound up burning it somewhere else like at a campfire or something they like said oh smell this mm. yeah death penalty like i don't think new age stores have death penalties for burning incense you know the so in other words no one takes incense more seriously than us no one takes music more seriously than us and then what's the other thing you find in those stores crystals crystals. Yeah. Gorgeous crystals. Well, the high priest of Israel in Jerusalem had, the first of all, he had a super cosmic outfit, but the most cosmic part of his whole outfit was a vest that had 12 crystals on it, 12 precious stones that, and engraved in the rocks without, with no holes, engraved in the rocks was um, the names of each tribe. And and that was because there was a special worm called a Shamir worm that they knew had to guide and it would carve out the names of the tribes inside the rock. It actually eats st- through stone, this worm. And um, and it, and uh, that we had a prime minister named Shamir. He's named after that animal. So, so the, uh, anyway, and not only was he wearing these like crazy, like this supercharged crystal vestment, but... You could ask it questions, and it would answer you, like so when we had like nash questions of national import, it would actually answer your questions. So it's like so when a jew an urban Jew today walks by a new age store and just says, like, "Ah, those guys, you know what's going on in there like they they can't even touch what we had going on and and that's why i that's why. You know, today I've been on a revitalizing our people. So I'm bringing us back to our tribal traditions. So I've got my incense, I got my meditation music, I got my my little rock collection, and I and I meditate, you know, pretty much daily, with rare exceptions. And uh, and I'm bringing it back. You know, we're going we're going back to tribal Judaism. Um, now. Here's something about it that's interesting, and that is that that the get my guitar going here. Um, that your 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 soul is basically stuck with the feedback of your body. So, like, you're getting feedback, you know, optically. You're getting it or uh, audio audioly. Is that called? orally maybe with an a um getting taste you know what else your soul gonna do it's just getting stimulated by all these things meaning your your pure consciousness the soul is getting stimulated by all your senses so everything you sense with sight is hitting you at the speed of light now do you you guys know how fast the speed of light is anyone here know that number some crazy number. meters per second square say it again Something like that, but I need that I'd look at uh,
1: two hundred and eighty-three thousand something <laughs> kilometers per second per second, something like that. Something yeah, it's, it's, miles it's, per hour.
0: It's two thousand something or uh, other miles per second, I think, and per second. Now that's overwhelming, it, and you'll notice three hundred. There's three hundred
2: thousand meters per second squared.
0: Squared. That's fast. 300
1: million, 300
2: million meters per second squared. Sorry, it's very fast. <laughs>
0: So what happens is your eye works with the sound, speed of light, which is just fascinating that God has us able to uh, navigate with, at such speeds. But, you know, our central nervous system is built for it, more or less, at least for navigating. But check this out. It doesn't touch you spiritually. I'll give you a great example. Go to the Swiss Alps. When you get up there, you'll just be like, totally touched spiritually. You'll just be like, wow, you'll be so blown away. But three days later, it's gone. M- music, that same song can hit you in that same place over and over and over. You can just hum it. You can just hum it. You know, I was just in the I was in the mikvah yesterday, and uh, Michael McDonald's bridge of a uh, minute by minute came up to me. I've got a, an electric piano right here behind me, but I'm not I'm not good enough f- player to play uh, minute by minute. Um, <laughs> I've never played this before, but
3: Call my name and I'll be gone You'll reach out and I won't be there Just by luck you'll realize You should spend your life with someone Minute by, minute by, minute by, I keep holding on, I keep holding on, I keep holding on, minute by, minute by, I keep holding on.
0: Anyway, over and over again, it never fails you. Why? Because uh, uh, Michael, Dr. Michael, you mind giving us the speed of sound? The speed, I don't, I want to know yeah. what the speed of sound is. Sound is uh,
1: a lot slower. Seven hundred and forty something miles an hour.
0: Yeah, it's a a, lot slower. Three hundred and
2: forty meters per second. So, speed of light is three hundred million meters per second. Speed of sound is three hundred meters per second.
0: Yeah, it's it's just, and and what happens is your soul says, ah, I can deal with that. Ah, I can deal with that. That's not overstimulating. That's perfectly stimulating and so it turns out that music's hitting us in vibrational it's basically massaging your soul vibrationally in a way that that really does work for us as a, as individuals and um and and so that's that's quite a bit about that now regarding singing singing has um <coughs> singing very interesting because it's it's more spiritual than any of them because you see You'd have to, you have to, uh, the fact that I can train my hands to, you know, the fact that I can train my fingers to do that. So, you know, there's, there's animals, there's primates that can, that are, have their fingers pretty well trained for various things. Um, now, of course, they're not going to do something creative like that, but, but, you know, the... They're, they may have like birds sing you know with uh, you know with uh, whatever instincts they have to do some very beautiful th- sounds but here when it comes to singing with words that's purely spiritual now yeah. um, first of all you got your breath that's desire breath is always desire okay you got your vocal cords that's that's your emotions you know you can always tell a uh, someone's emotional by their vocal cords And then, and then the five exits of the mouth is the intellect, because how do you actually cut up the sound? How do you cut up the sound? That's the that's the soul that rests and rests that your intellect basically reports to, but it also lends the intellect speech, which is a whole discussion on speech. But singing includes speech as well. Okay, ready, guys? I'm gonna play you a little song since we brought up music. (laughs) Nifdal, you have any requests? Maybe her request. She's uh, throwing around the spot uh, here. And we're like two different oh gosh, ge- I, generations. Oh
1: Tatiana is like the real deal, professional singer.
0: Oh really? You know? I well, I, I study opera at UCLA. Oh. So uh, yeah,
3: uh, I, yeah, I'm doing the classical track. Um, nice. Oh gosh, I don't
0: know. You um, don't. You don't have to. I'll I'll just come up with some.
3: Uh,
0: you know, I just wasn't ready to play, so I—it's I, just taking me a moment <laughs> to figure out what I will play for you. No, I don't know why I'm just going to play this song. This is what's coming right now. Um, this song's about fathers.
3: You hear him leaving the driveway, ten of nine. For the last 30 years He's been right on time He didn't always make it home Till you went off to bed And though you felt alone At least he made it home He couldn't help with your homework Had too much to do But sometimes when you finished He would read it through You didn't want to interrupt But at times it couldn't wait Though he made you mad He was still your dad My daddy, he's the only one I own. He dead, my daddy. Cause I don't want to change him after all. he made up his mind, it did no good to fight. You didn't ask his opinion, he was always right. But he taught you not to give up hope, how to take it till the end. And though it may seem grim, you're alive. Like him, he is my daddy. He's the only one I owe He is still my daddy. Guess I don't wanna change. Late at night I think about my dad I just want him to know That I love him so Get in touch with the
0: heartbeat Of your father It's not going to beat forever
1: <coughs>
0: Share your life with him Share the words that you need to share Before it's too late
3: He's there My daddy He's the only
0: So th- this class is turning pretty interesting, this Ask Rabbi Yomto. And yesterday we had a homeless guy sharing the most amazing stuff. And uh, that was a whole interaction. And today, today we have uh, music. Um, but who who, uh, who has a question? question? Question, Naftali, what's a bomb question you got recently that, that uh, you need answered? Uh... I mean, you could probably answer every bomb question at this point.
1: No, no, that's, that's what all these WhatsApp chats are
0: for,
1: it's, you know, to, to feel them all. Uh,
0: uh, what do you do there in L.A., by the way, Naftali?
1: So right now by UCLA, um, but we're all quarantines. So we're all on Zoom,
0: basically. Not, nice. And what do you do? There, what, do you work for an organization there?
1: Jam, jam,
0: yeah, Jam UCLA. Oh, wow. You're like the longest standing Jam Rabbi ever. Yeah.
1: yeah do you like yeah. run
0: the place at this yeah. point?
1: Um, you see,
0: basically, UCLA, you know, I don't do the fundraising. So you, is, you, st- nice. you stuck with UCLA, and you don't have to do fundraising, oh my gosh, a miracle.
1: Yeah, but thinking of you, I am planning to do surfing tomorrow.
0: <laughs> nice, tomorrow, to nice, tomorrow. you should know, while we're speaking, there's a palm tree right outside my window, and it's right above your camera, and it's, uh, blowing, and this whole time, so I'm getting mm-hmm. ready to do a little surf check after this, see what's going on in the morning. Yeah um enjoy wow uh so what uh, dr michael do you come up with a question yet what city are you in dr michael denver ah denver nice nice we know each other by the way you seem familiar to me
2: i'm the only uh six seven jewish guy in the denver community
0: that you've i so know yes. who you are yeah <laughs> yeah i remember my you.
2: wife my wife is ariella balotsky she works for Lori jwrp
0: oh ah, nice nice yeah uh-huh. Um, so, Rob, have you been following?
2: You know what's been going on over here with all of the uh, unrest and the racial issues, and oh, is that something yeah. that's been on your. Oh yeah, um,
0: you
2: know, as a pediatrician, I get I get lots of questions, not just about kids' health, but people asking me about. You know, I I have seven children, and so people ask me about parenting all the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, one of the most common things that are coming up is that the community that my practice serves. Is a, you know, south of Denver is a pretty homogeneous place. I mean, I, I'm the only Jewish guy here when I show up every day, <laughs> um, and it's a it's a racially not a very diverse place. But everyone here has a college degree. Everyone here it's a, it's a pretty high end uh, bedroom community. So people are very concerned about what can I what can I do as a parent? How can I what what how do I transmit a value to my kids knowing they're not going to have the opportunity to necessarily interact with people of color? They're not going to necessarily have the opportunity to, you know, re- until they leave for college, most of these children, to really understand this in a, you know, how, how this is affecting black people in America, it, 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 the way that it's being expressed in the news, but yet they want to impart, in some way, ways to, to change their kids' thinking and mindset around empathy, around, um, you know, how they can take this experience and turn it into a teaching moment and a growth experience in their homes and in their kids. These are people are all Christian or unaffiliated. Um, you know, I, I I try not to get too much into specific Jewish things with them. Although I, I in my social media stuff, I do reference a lot of things. But mm-hmm. I was I want to know how would you answer them if you were if they were asking you?
0: Yeah. So how would you um, I'm probably a pretty good guy to ask because uh, I, I am named after Martin Luther King, who died three days before I was born. My English name is John Martin. So I'm, yes, I'm a Hasidic rabbi named after a Baptist minister, Southern Baptist minister. So the, um, I think that, um, there's a couple of things. Number one is they have to undo the images they just saw during those rice riots. Um, that's the number one worst thing that's going on now. Meaning they probably, whatever rap they had about other races and especially about the black community, um, it just got a lot worse because of that, um, it doesn't anyone from the age, I don't know. What would you say, doctor, from age four? Because four, four-year-olds get in there and watch a little bit, too, when the parents are freaking out sure. on what they're seeing. But so would you, I would I say, yeah, go ahead.
2: Eight, eight nine, 10 through adolescence are the ones who are really, I think, Coming and asking and and wanting to find meaning and wanting guidance and wanting right. something from their parents to help.
0: So what I wanted to say was that all those kids watching, let's say down from a four-year-old, I would guess down up to uh, maybe a twelve-year-old, maybe eleven-year-old, that that they don't uh, they don't understand what they're saying, and you're never going to explain it to them. They are this is now going to be imprinted on them for life. That that's who those people are, and and now you're raising kids. To be very respectful of of the law, very respectful of of uh, wrong and right, stealing, not stealing, and those kids fantasize about what if all this stuff was free, you know? Kids fantasize that stuff, and then watch it happen. Where watch the looting on television, and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" And my my ten year old, you know, he was we were watching it in the news on on our computer here in Jerusalem. My ten year old just said like, "Wow, black people are bad." And my wife and I were like, we're, we raised our kids colorblind. You know, there's no, there's no such thing as any difference. You know, because when you're raised spiritually, well, what keeps you alive is the soul. It doesn't have anything to do with your skin color. But I, but now we suddenly have a black black sorry a kid who thinks black kids are bad, black people are bad, right. and because he saw those images, so it did no service for an entire generation of children. That I don't know what we can actually say to our kids to reverse what they saw um, because it really went against the very deepest fiber of their moral um, grounding that we as parents have to put in them so I would say the number one thing is to go at that you have to go at what they saw first of all let's deal with the ble- like you're you're a, you're in the in the hospital there I imagine or some doctor's office like you got to start with the guy who's where, where are you?
2: In my own office, this is my doctor's. I own the office.
0: Oh, great! So, so I yeah, I couldn't tell if you were like in in an office in an ER, you know. But when you're in an ER, you deal with the bleeding guys first. So, you know, the guy bleeding all over everybody gets in there quicker. So, so that's what's bleeding right now. So, I would tell the parents that why don't we deal with what's emergency right now, and then, and then the and it, I would imagine it would be best. So, obviously, my wife went, I wasn't in the room when my son said that, my my wife went right in on him and said, like, hey, this is a minority of people you're looking at. This is what the television's capturing right now. Um, that, that, by the way, fell on deaf ears. Because you're a kid, your eyes are popping out of your head watching people run out of, a, you know, a shoe store, you know, with shoes, boxes of the shoes in their hands. Like, he didn't care what she was saying. He's seeing what he's seeing, and that's seeing is believing in his in his position, so so first of all is to we have to stave off um, we have to stave off the um, that immediate emergency that tr- that's the triage level, and um, I think the way to go about that is to explain that this is an election year, and and show them maybe the history of Trump being attacked and. Uh, you know, meaning there's been many, many, many attacks, um, by the, by the left to get Trump out of office, by the way, I'm not here to defend anyone. I'm just saying like, you can Google this, like tons of, tons of attacks. Um, nothing worked, even the impeachment trial, like he's still president. So like nothing worked. And so, so all that was left really on election year was mayhem and, uh, total mayhem. And, and I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know how you could find this out, but I guess you could somehow show the kids, uh, maybe municipality by municipality of, of where, where, w- who had the weakest answer to the violence and the looting and show them that, Hey, you know what, that is interesting that it is correlated. I don't know if this is true hundred percent, but it, maybe it was correlated with uh, cities that the mayors more to the left You know, and everyone spent the last four, all those people spent the last four years like with their ears on fire with what was coming out of Trump's mouth because the guy's a loose cannon. And I mean, even the right, the people on the right's ears were on fire from what came out of his mouth in four years. I mean, any sensible person just couldn't believe these last four years. It's like having a stand-up comedian for president. And, um, and the, only it's not funny because there's a lot on the line there, um, so, so the, um, and then maybe even to show Trump's record, his track record with, uh, with the black community, because he's actually got on actual paper, he's got an excellent, um, an excellent track record. Um, apparently he's done much more than Obama ever did for the black community in, um, and, and I think you don't have to be a Einstein to figure out that, that, uh, building up the nation financially, making a strong America and bringing, bringing industry back to back to America is going to be really good for the inner city. That's going to be literally like plucking people out of poverty and into, you know, fine jobs and, uh, and a new standard, not only of living, but of behavior. And so, so it could be that we could um, create a, a, a nice thesis for our children and with being able to show it as well online, uh, so that they can understand that this was that this was a very sad play, a very sad play in the poker game of an election year, um, where where they also, um, you know, you know, in the in a way, they used the black community, that particular area of the black community, they used that black community as pawns in in a in a game of of politics. Um, mm-hmm. That it's very likely that that they were played big time on this one. And it's and it, and it it's a, not a nice comment, you know, as, a, what was her name, Candace Owens? You know. Candace Owens. Yeah, she said many times, like, th- like I, I, she kept mentioning, like, you're not that stupid to play into that. Like, she kept saying that. Or maybe she said, are you that stupid to, like, to let yourselves get played like that to the point of riots mm-hmm. and looting? Um, so I imagine I imagine that the kids need to deal with that immediate emergency, mostly, of the images they saw. Um, I personally think that inviting, because inviting, you, you're at least a doctor, you get to at least probably see black people sometimes. So uh, why don't you bring, bring them, bring, like people could bring them to their homes for a Shabbos meal, a barbecue. <laughs> That'd be good for the kids.
2: Yeah, developing relationships, I think, because uh, I've heard you say, right? The relationship a relationship can overcome a lot, a lot of misunderstanding. Oh yeah. That. Oh yeah. Um, so one more follow up question on that though is like when you, when you talk to your kids, Rabbi, about the idea of empathy, at least you know try to explain to young kids why some people could feel the way they feel. As you know, when we're talking about explaining what they saw, and at least saying, okay, look, there was there were feelings behind this. These feelings came from somewhere. How, when you're trying to get kids to understand the idea of empathy, how do you explain that to your kids? How do you impart that idea of empathy to your kids when you're trying to get them to sort of be able to put their feelings in the place of someone else to experience something like that? What, what do you say to them?
0: Um Well, the thing is I would be reluctant to use this for that because, meaning to use Good. the race rides for that, because again, it seems they were being played and played by politics. I- so, so I, I don't think empathy is is necessarily the appropriate reaction to that. Um, I think truth would be the way to play it. But, but um, you know.
2: Well, like, I'll give you an example. Like, I, I, I had a discussion with my kids where uh, three of my girls who are, like, base Yakov girls, so kind of sheltered. And I showed them a picture of the Nazi flag, and I asked them how this made them feel. And I showed them a picture of the Confederate flag. Said, how does this make you feel? And I tried to get them to understand so they could very easily identify very strong visceral feelings to the Nazi flag, right. and of course the Confederate flag to them means zero, like literally zero. Right? It has. It's just it, to them it's it's a colorful picture. And I tried to get to say the way you guys feel when you see this is exactly the way an entire group of people in this country feels when they look at this. Wow. Being a
0: yeah. Wow, I think you answered the question the best. That's that was a really good one. And uh, and by the way, can you educate me a little on the Confederate flag? Because I know it keeps being in the news, but they're expecting everyone knows what it means. Does that have something to do yep. with the Civil War? And like, the, was there a group that wanted slavery? And those were the Confederates.
2: I mean, you, listen, not not being as erudite as many on historical facts, but um, you know, the Civil War was fought over the idea of slavery. Oh, really? Um, right. Which is I mean a human atrocity on the level of the Holocaust at least for, for that for in the historical annex of that group of people slavery occupies the same space that the Holocaust occupies for Jewish people hundred mm-hmm. percent mm-hmm. and I know this because you know I had the privilege of going to an East Coast Ivy League college so I had lots of African-American friends very educated who I still have a relationship with this is not a myth this is act, this is how they look at it wow and
0: the oh, so there flag- so no one's flashing nazi flags but everyone's flashing confederate flags at car races
2: 100% and- if, if you go to germany i believe i've only gone to germany as a stopover to israel never actually spent any time there but you can't wave a you can't walk around waving a nazi flag out of a feeling of historical significance you cannot um in this country the confederate flag has become co-opted as a symbol for this value system that had to do with the human atrocity imposed on another group of people. Wow. And, um, and that flag has persisted under the auspice of a historical symbol. So even like the Mississippi state flag up until literally this past week had the Confederate flag embedded in the state flag of Mississippi. flew over the state house in whatever the capital of Mississippi is. I'm going to admit, I don't know the capital of Mississippi, but you know what I'm saying? So, you know, and, and so I think Jewish people have a, a lot more shared historical um, historical experience to African-Americans than other groups of people. Mm. And, and I think that this is a really good way for Jewish people to at least understand where that emotional part comes from with at least that symbol. Beautiful. Because we, when we see uh, people raising a Nazi flag, we experience anger, anxiety, fear, loathing. All these things, because of our shared national experience, every time an, uh, an educated, or thoughtful African American person sees the Confederate flag, it's the identical feeling. Wow. I mean, identical.
0: Wow. Okay. Very good. Um, here's an here's another interesting question uh, yeah. that no one's asked me, and I don't think I have an answer right now. But I but I'd be interested in thinking about is you know Jews bounce back from from. Uh, all our every time we've ever been hit, we bounce back like beyond quick. Meaning, meaning, people came back from the war to uh, America. And many of them came back emaciated, distended bellies, swollen skulls, um, on the verge of death, really, from starvation. But they weren't because they were starving in some one of those wood beds that held six men. They were also they were in full slavery during the day. They were just enslaved. Most of the people. You know, half the people you went out with in the day were buried that or buried or incinerated that that same day that you went out. And the question was just, how are you going to make it? And but meanwhile, all the people who survived that hell. It was unrecognizable. Ten years later, they were they were like CEOs of companies. They were they run Brooklyn. They own half of the, you know, lower east side. Exactly. You know, it's like. Right. It's like, but it was like that, you know, it's like instantaneous. If you checked out the power and wealth in the Jewish community, um, 10 years after the Holocaust of the survivors, it is shocking how, how Teflon Jews are for their worst annals in history. And, um, and so, so here's the question. What could the Jewish community teach the black community? Because that's all that all took place in the same country. You understand? Right. And and not only that, you might say, well, Jews were in a new country like America's. And now they get a new start. They're not in Germany anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, I could I could take you to some mansions in Berlin owned by Jews who t- <laughs> who stayed so, in Germany after the well, war. And
2: well, I can tell you what of like the academic African-American community response to that. They say, well, there are certain differences. One is that uh, a Jewish person can do this and they're indistinguishable. Outwardly and change the they sound of their last name, at mm. least in America, and they can they can go and do whatever they want without necessarily suffering uh, any significant uh, prejudices. Yeah, ex- uh, it, except
0: yes. except there's more mil- there's more millionaires per capita in the black no, no, no William Williamsburg community of Hasidim. Yeah, I hear. Who are like sure. you can't get more identifiable as no, no, as the sheep, sure no, sheep sure to not. slaughter than those guys, and they're sure not, it? and they are, they're, It is an extremely wealthy community there with a massive oh, yeah. wealth, and they and that happened immediately after. And it's not just that; it, it's over and over again. Meaning, we get exiled. To, we got exiled from country to country to country to country, meaning the house you grew up in, meaning the town you grew up in, the likelihood of you living there as an adult was very little because you probably left with a shirt on your back, being run out of town and if not killed. And and then you wind up in a totally new place. And then what happens, the Jews are like, they're like olive oil mixed with water. And they're just going to rise right. straight up to the top again. So, you know, so I, what,
2: I, I think whatever Michael Lerner, whatever you think of him, he's a pretty liberal jewish thinker he, he writes a lot he is, in america he's a big voice in the non from jewish world his mm. parents were survivors his his grandfather was like a Hasidic rebbe type of guy so he has some literacy and he would he would say um that th- there was a, there was a a societal and cultural norms that were embedded in jewish values mm. that immediately acted like you know like like helium balloons to pull them up the the devotion to education for them that was second nature the idea that people would come here and educate themselves you know the 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 intact family home and the fit and the and the focus and the
0: on the nuclear the, family the, the
2: de- exactly like those things religious religious and spiritual things completely aside you know there were certain embedded values about who Jews were at their mm. core that that would act to create that which if, if you look, even even educated black people would admit that there are large swaths of the African-American community in the country that lacked both of those things. Right. That they lack a, a, a reverence then, uh, and, a, and right. a focus both
0: of them. The value of education and the nuclear family were missing. Okay. So, um, so basically our advice to them was uh, would be go to school and get married and stay married.
2: Stay married. Yeah. And then have Two children. family household.
0: No premarital uh, yeah. relations. Um, I got a
2: question,
0: I, I got a question from a guy named Joe in, um, and we'll, we'll end with this question. Um, oh, there's two questions. There was a guy named Andrew who says, I was thinking of starting my own personal coaching course. What did you mm. wish you knew when you first started the possibility seminar? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you one thing I wish I knew. I wish I knew that, um. That to go, um, a lot of people have the feeling like they should start off non-legit, meaning under the table, till they get their feet on the ground and get rolling. Um, just because you know you're not really making any money yet, and and um, you know you want to count every buck you make, and and so you just kind of coach on the side and don't declare your taxes. Um, that's a bad formula. Formula. That's a bad for me. I learned it. I learned it <laughs> quick enough uh, My f- microphones going nuts here. I'll see why so I'm gonna mute you for a sec, Michael in case it was interacting with you because you lit up um, Yeah, that worked for some reason. Anyway, I learned that quick But uh, but what people what it what that's like, you know, that's like that's like a, a runner who's gonna like cut off his foot you want to be you want to be legit and 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 not only that, you want to be I mean, don't be an idiot, but you do want to get to a high tax bracket quickly. <laughs> that means you're succeeding. I know people who, first of all, they handicap themselves because they're starting a career and they, they don't want to be, go legit yet, and especially coaching you could totally get away with. And so they don't want to go legit yet, but meanwhile, they're totally hiding their, um, they're totally hiding their, their um, business. Meaning they feel like they can't go public with their business because you know they have to stay under the radar. So that's like it's like an instant handicap, and uh, and and then later, later when they start growing more, you know you can get greedy and just be watching. Oh wow, this is this is great. You know I don't think I'm ever going legit. But meanwhile, you're just totally cut. You know, you got you cut yourself off at the knees when you do that. You wanna you wanna go legit right away. Uh, meaning if you're good at what you do but if you're good at what you do go legit right away and people um and then just just you know be smart with your taxes I meaning don't be an idiot and just hand them all your money be smart with your tax. have a have a shrewd and and uh, excellent accountant but um but uh you want to be rising up tax brackets so that you're just like you breathe well you sleep well at night and and your business grows anyway so you probably weren't expecting that but that's one thing um, and then one more thing uh, that, I do know, that was, that was the question. Okay. Um, Shalom, everybody. Thank you for joining. Click on all the things. Subscribe if you're watching this on, uh, on uh, wherever you are. Um, subscribe, follow, share. Um, and please uh, go to my website and check out uh, the, my new webinar. I'm starting a whole new seminar called Desire capture the fire. And it's going to be, uh, you know, it's really the getting in aligning yourself with the truth of, of, with the the power of our creation. And that that's called desire. So please join that. That's starting this coming Sunday. Um, I'd love to see you there and that's going to be quite exclusive. That's not going to be open. Meaning you, you get that code when you signed up and, um, Yeah. Thanks for joining. Um, Please be in my club. If you really love my stuff, I'd really appreciate it if you're in my club and it helps me pay for people to edit and get stuff uh, onto YouTube and and various others. I'm starting a podcast. Um, I just rehired one of my technicians just to start a full on podcast. And uh, if you would like to sponsor any podcasts, let me know as well. Okay. Shalom, everybody. All the best.
3: Bye-bye.